I've been thinking about it more and more, but if we don't make this happen and make it a huge success, then there's a part of me that thinks I'm kind of letting the environment down. If one collector can save you know, X tons of carbon emissions throughout its lifetime, imagine the impact of deploying a million of these collectors out into the world. Faisal Ghani is on a huge social and environmental mission. The only thing standing in his way? Climate change and the global pandemic. It was a real baptism of fire, um, I would say. Starting a business with a global pandemic, it was a real test. But I think it was a good process to go through because we have to be able to cope and respond to these challenges because they're inevitable, they will come. No pressure then, eh? This is the Converge Challenge podcast. I'm Alex, and today we're telling the story of the 2019 Impact Challenge winner Solaris Kit and its founder, Faisal. I had a, an idea, I'd test in the lab. I knew that I needed to turn to a business if I wanted to make some real impact with it. How do I go about that process? How do I A, get the capital to start the company? How do I get the training to bridge my academic background to include some business training? Converge really just tackled all those key gaps that I had faced. Solaris Kit's thermal collector turns sunlight into hot water using a flat pack lightweight pyramid that can be assembled without any tools in under 20 minutes. Small and simple to use, it promises to make a huge social and environmental impact, bringing affordable and eco-friendly hot water to anyone with a flat outdoor surface to place one on. Sunlight passes through the clear walls of the pyramid and onto a coiled tube inside. Water passes through the tube, heating up as it goes. Then it can flow straight into a hot water tank. But where did this idea come from? How did it turn into a business? And, most importantly, can I use one next time I'm glamping? I'll let Faisal take us back to the start. So where to begin? So I guess in 2018, at the start of 2018, my life fundamentally changed when I became a father. That really changes the way you think about life in general. So I hate to use the word selfish, but I think before that, that period in my life, I think I was rather selfish just thinking about my own life. But then that really shifted uh, becoming a dad. And then soon after that, I was giving a lecture at Harriet Watts University. So I was lecturing the renewable energy program, talking about at a really high level, the state of the world and climate change. So this really involved me going through the IPCC reports and understanding what's really involved in tackling the climate emergency. And, and it really occurred to me that, gosh, this is not only going to affect my lifetime, but it is really going to affect my daughter's lifetime. This was really part of that you know, transitioning from just thinking about myself to thinking beyond myself and acknowledging the fact that I probably was in a very strong position to do something more tangible to address this problem. You know, I, I was kind of relying on students making that, that tangible impact on the environment as a lecturer. But becoming a dad, I realized that, no, I don't think I, I want to do that. I want to start trying to do it myself. And then during that process, I was reading a journal paper. Uh, and this paper said that a lot of households in Kigali, Rwanda, were forced to spend a significant portion of their income meeting their energy bill. And a lot of that was just going to heating water. As an engineer that's been working in the solar heating space for the last 15 years, this is quite a, a lightning bolt moment for me because Rwanda, it's, a, it's an equatorially located African country that has 
huge amounts of sunlight. It just seemed crazy that this country wasn't using this energy to meet this, this heating demand. And if they did, it would make huge impact to quality of life to millions of people, if not billions of people worldwide, reduce the burden on grids while lowering energy-related carbon emissions. And so it all just started coming together. All these little pieces of the puzzle were, were starting to come into place. And I really realized then what I needed to do uh, is looking at using the skills that I developed over the last 15 years as an engineer and creating a, an impactful business that tackled this environmental and social problem. And so that then led to this development of uh, the world's first flat packable solar collector. And so really it just started off with scribbling some drawings in the notepad. And then, you know, kind of thinking about it mentally through the picture, drawing some arrows going, oh yeah, I think this could actually work. And then from there, then going to the computer uh, and getting all the drawings, so we could start building a, a really basic prototype to test out which I did it whilst at Harriet Watt. And what was that like when it came into contact with reality for the first time? Oh, it was brilliant. I mean, I think this has got to be the reason why I became an engineer is this whole ability to convert just this idea in my head into something real and physical that actually does what it's supposed to do using the laws of science. So yeah, it was, it was incredibly satisfying. I built this collector and unfortunately it was, it was this time two years ago. So we're in the depths of winter in Scotland. So uh, it wasn't the best time to test a, a solar collector. So we had to get a little bit creative there as well. So setting up some indoor lamps to test out the concept, which I was able to do quite quickly, fortunately, thanks to uh, the support that we got from the university. And when it worked, it was like, wow, this is great. This, this idea actually has some legs and it could potentially make a lot of impact. One of the things I'd like to touch on is from what you've said, it all seems to follow a very logical progression from this idea to pen to paper to CAD to testing. Was it really that easy? <laughs> yeah, I made it sound like that, but uh, no, I guess there were there were lots of problems. There was the the mixture of personal challenges, of course. So I did have a, a nice salaried job at university, which I had to basically give up to start this this enterprise. Uh, and so that was quite a, a challenging thing personally, especially when you have a family uh, to look after. And then there's just the challenges in how to start a business in general. And that's something that I had like pretty much no experience um, on. I was very strong on the, the engineering side because that's what I've been doing for 15 years, but then actually starting to commercialize my own idea that was yeah completely new territory uh for me so that was that was incredibly challenging i think why it probably seemed that it was quite straightforward is that i was very fortunate to gain support from a number of very experienced people within the scottish entrepreneurial ecosystem uh, which is fabulous here in scotland it was really easy to get support from organizations like the Edinburgh Center for Carbon Innovation, Scottish Enterprise, all those um, organizations had really strong networks to potential advisors, meeting those advisors and those advisors just really helping me at the start, which is probably the most difficult time, especially given my background to start the business. Uh, and I think that really just helped me avoid a lot of the, the traps and pitfalls that a lot of businesses go for. Take me through this this mentorship. Was it was it the individuals or the institutions? Like, how's it been? 
Yeah, so um, really at the start, I was just Robinson Crusoe on Island Solaris kit <laughs> all by myself. And then fortunately, I did find my tribe eventually, mainly through the Converge Challenge and the Edinburgh Center for Carbon Innovation. These were the two bodies that were really quite critical at the start. And these two organizations really opened up my networks, I would say. You might be able to tell from my accent, I'm not a local. Uh, I'm originally from Australia as well. So my network here isn't fantastic. But these two organizations really provided uh, that gateway. So I could meet advisors who had specific experience in what I was doing. And they also had quite a lot of buy-in to the social environmental mission. So yeah, they were, they were quite critical uh, through uh, those organizations, meeting uh, various people who have actually then become uh, members of our board. So it's become a formal arrangement, one of which has just stepped up to become our chair, which is fantastic because they've been part of the, the company since the very, very beginning. And I know exactly where they stand and what they want to get out of the company and that they're all aligned, uh, which has been absolutely brilliant. So you mentioned Converge. Now- when did you first hear of it? How did you come across it? What was your, take us through the journey of your, your interaction with Converge. So I had never heard of Converge because I moved from Australia to Scotland, but I heard about it quite quickly whilst working as a, a postdoc researcher at Harriet Watt, mainly because of the prestige um, of the competition. There were alumni at Harriet Watt uh, University um, that had gone through the Converge uh, program and so I did sit on some talks and basically the feeling I got was that everyone who came across this competition spoke incredibly highly uh, about the competition. And so just doing my own personal research into it, just jumping online, reading about it, seeing how this was a competition specifically for people like myself who had spent most of their, their time in academia to see how they could take an idea and commercialize it, I, I just thought it was a brilliant concept. And obviously it was a perfect fit for my idea. I had a, an idea, I tested in the lab. I knew that I needed to turn to a business if I wanted to make some real impact with it. How do I go about that process? How do I A, get the capital to start the company? How do I get the training to bridge my quite academic background to include some business training. The Converge really just tackled all those key issues, all those key gaps that I had faced. So um, I think after three months of coming up with the idea of our solar collector, I then applied for the, the impact challenge through Converge in 2019. It's been a, a huge help to what I've been trying to do. Converge has been a big success for, for you and your business. It really helped you with that commercialization piece and I suppose that kind of brings us back to where we were at the start of the conversation i.e. you're now setting up physical production lines in the Michelin Centre in Dundee I think you said yes that's right the Michelin Scotland Innovation Park yeah how does it feel now to be sitting there sort of amongst the the apparatus looking back on this journey Sometimes I feel like I have to pinch myself a little because it's kind of every engineer's dream to have their own little production line. So uh, it's pretty cool. We've got a laser cutter. Um, we've got electronic torque screwdrivers, a nice little R&D test lab uh, area now. It's starting to really sink in that this is really quite 
real now. <laughs> it's gone so much beyond, uh, okay, I've got an idea. I've tested in the lab. Um, I've got a little bit of desk space uh, somewhere in an incubator to we have our own premises and we're looking to actually manufacture collectors to start selling and getting these out into the real world. We're now so close to realizing that really key next big step. It's exciting. Uh, it's really overwhelming as well. We've been quite lucky and very, very fortunate with um, attracting funding and support from these mentors and advisors, which I mentioned, but still it's just getting to that point now where it's quite a critical turning point now for the company. Yeah, it's just now focusing on making it all happen. But uh, I guess where we've been continually fortunate with the support that we've received uh, within the Scottish ecosystem. Obviously, we don't want to let anyone down. We don't want to let my, myself down. And I've been thinking about it more and more. But if we don't make this happen and make it a huge success, then there's a part of me that thinks I'm kind of letting the environment down as well. So I, I kind of keep reminding myself of the environmental impact just selling one single collector would make. I'm just thinking, well, if one collector can save you know, X tons of carbon emissions throughout its lifetime, imagine the impact of deploying a million of these collectors out into the world. And the, the way to do that is just making sure that this is a viable business that grows really, really quickly. So just making sure that all happens. So you've touched on it a little bit, but to just kind of talk about it specifically, what effect do you think having such a huge and powerful goal has had on yourself and on all these people you've come into contact with? You see, everyone's been really supportive. Is that because of the goal? Or are you fantastically profitable? Is it, or, or is it the goal that they've really, really hooked onto? I think the why and the goal is the initial latch for a lot of people. So we are trying to A, decarbonize heating. Um, and so with the, the impact side of things, where we're coming from there is the fact that half of global energy is consumed to meet heating demand. And still a large portion of that, around three quarters of it, still comes from fossil fuels. So if we want to tackle the climate emergency, it's really quite critical that we decarbonize heating. And the fact that you know, there's over 5 billion people living in the developing and emerging economies, it's these parts of the world where clean energy technologies could make the most impact. So not only on the environment, but on people's lives. That's quite a powerful story that a lot of people kind of gravitate to. So you're, you're tackling climate climate change, and you're also looking to try and improve energy access to millions, if not billions of people worldwide. So uh, I think based off that, it gets it gets quite a lot, of, a lot of interest. But I would say the financial aspects of the business are also quite important, um, especially if you're trying to get buy-in from obviously potential investors, um, but also funders um, as well. But also... You know, we have to take a pretty pragmatic view that if this is not a f viable functioning business, the amount of impact it could make is going to be very short-lived. And so economically, it has, to, it has to have legs. And so in that case, we do have a financially very viable product. The solar thermal market alone is a, a $17 billion market per year, uh, and it's forecast to grow considerably. In Africa alone, it's looking to, to grow by 50-fold over the next 10 years. And we've got a piece of technology that's ideal for the African climate. And so when you tell potential investors or mentors those kinds of numbers, I think it's, it's a good addition to our really strong why and purpose. But I think that you, you need both. Have those things sort of come about organically, or have you had to 
to manage the relationship between the mission and the business side of things? Have, has it been harmonious? So it has been harmonious, actually, uh, until now. And that's chiefly because, and you know, coming back to the old C word, we had to pivot a little when COVID hit. Uh, and so when COVID hit and we realized that we weren't able to travel to Africa and make the key relationships that we needed to make to make this a, a viable business in that part of the world, uh, we started thinking about what are the, the opportunities for our solar thermal collector in Scotland, the UK and Europe and you know, abroad into other more developed mature markets. And we realized that there's actually quite a good fit in the supply of heating to the hospitality industry. And so this is where the synergy comes in because we thought, oh, okay, well, this is a little bit of a deviation from our, our original mission of focusing on low carbon heating solutions to the global south. But if we were to enter this more developed market, you know, there's an opportunity here for us to charge a bit of a premium so that we can help subsidize our more mission-focused company. And that, that helps the business a lot uh, in terms of helping the impact that we can make in the global south, but also really improving our investor readiness um, as well. Given the size of the markets that we're trying to access, we do need substantial investment. And I think if we can show an investor that, look, we've got traction in you know, less risky markets, a market where we can charge you know, higher margins, but at the same time, this is still our, our core mission, then it goes together really, really well. And so it's so far a good narrative for the company, especially at the stage that we're at in, in trying to raise investment. And so what, what would be the use cases in this, in this hospitality market? Are we going to see the thermal collectors at Glastonbury or where are they going to pop up? Yeah, well, I would, I would love the collectors to be in Glastonbury uh, whenever that comes back on. Uh, hopefully, it'll be back on soon. We're quite keen to, to get our prismatic collectors at the, the prismatic stage uh, at Glastonbury. We see it's a very good fit. Um, but I think before then, uh, we're hoping that you'll see our soil collectors initially at glamping sites across the UK. So uh, glamping is obviously a, quite a big thing here in the United Kingdom. And it seems like with everything that's happened with COVID uh, and the staycation market really uh, growing this summer, it's going to be one of those areas that's going to, to grow again. And it's also an industry that's looking to, to really be seen as quite clean and environmentally friendly. And it's a, there are spaces where, which require huge amounts of hot water to operate. So it's a really, really good fit. We have basically pitched the idea to glamping sites uh, to say it's, it's a new beautiful way of turning sunlight into into energy savings, that's something that's really drawn people to our solution. They said, oh, wow, this, this collector looks really, really different. They could easily see it sitting next to one of their glamping pods or a yurt or a tent or a cabin, having no visual impact on the on the site, but you know, u- utilizing that ground, which is just getting all this solar energy to really reduce their energy costs. It was a, it was a really, really good fit for us. Looking forward... Do you have any plans for different products or an updated version of the current one? Like, what does the future hold? So um, we definitely don't want to be a, a one-trick pony. <laughs> so we, we have a, a pretty exciting product roadmap plan. So uh, a number of things include, you know, developing our own controller based on artificial intelligence. Uh, so we're looking to start developing that in a matter of months, uh, hopefully weeks, um, all going well. We're also looking at a completely new system where we remove the pump uh, as well. So there are applications especially in Africa, where a passive thermosiphon type system, which basically uh, use natural convection to circulate the water through the collector, is something that we're really keen to do because that would obviously eliminate a fair bit of cost 
from the system. So we're looking at developing one of those systems uh, as well. We're also looking at uh, being the complete solution provider for a solar hot water system. So looking at developing our own storage tanks, the piping, specking all the pumps. Uh, so really being a one-stop shop for an installer to install a solar hot water system, you're able to provide everything uh, to meet those needs, not just the collector. Yeah, those are some of the key things. So you're going to become the IKEA of hot water then? That's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so you mentioned some of the positives in terms of pivoting towards more commercial applications, but what was it like at the start when the first lockdown was coming and leading up to that? What was that like for you and for the business? At the start, it was very disappointing. When lockdown first hit, uh, I'm guessing it was March or April, we felt like we were really coming to a turning point with Solaris Kit because I had basically just moved from my full-time academic job at Heriot Watt to working full-time on the business. And it was the year that we were going to make you know, significant progress on the company. And really, as soon as that happened on the 1st of April, uh, we were in lockdown and told not to travel and told to work from home, uh, making it really difficult to even just go to the test site and access the solar collectors to get data from. Uh, so that was that was quite frustrating. Yeah, what, what's going through your head then? Because I'm, I'm stressed on your behalf after the fact. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was incredibly stressful. It was really disappointing. I guess there was, there was a period where you think, oh, gosh, this is unfair. But then you think, well, it's, just, it's unfair to everyone. Um, there are so many people just going through the same thing. Uh, and a lot of people who had it much, much worse, of course, as well. But then you just have to go, well, this is the way it is. What are we going to do about it? And just doing the best we can with it all. So the team had grown um, by then. We had a, a lead engineer working for us around the time COVID started. Um, we were looking to recruit a few other people. So just looking at how we could manage the team effectively. So making sure we had Microsoft Teams up and running, touching base with them all, just working out how we could remote work remotely. You know, I'd never really spent a huge amount of time on video calls until COVID, which is crazy because since then I must have had 10,000 calls. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was a real baptism of fire. Um, I would say starting a business with a global pandemic, it was a real test, but I think it was a good process to go through because we learned with COVID that there are so many unforeseen circumstances that can affect us personally, uh, affect us professionally. And we have to be able to cope and respond to these these challenges because they, they're inevitable. They will come. And so I guess it was good um, to go through that process uh, because it meant, okay, we originally thought this was our market. We have to th rethink that and rethink that really quickly uh, because that really isn't a viable option given the current circumstances. And I think that's probably ingrained something within the business to make sure that we always have our antennas up, our ear to the ground to make sure that we're constantly um, looking out for those other opportunities should things change as they have for us all. So I guess that was a, a really worthwhile lesson to go through. How, how have you been avoiding burnout? That's the B word to go along with the C word. Because surely, I mean, judging by all you've said, by all you've done over the past few years, that must have been a, like a, a looming spectre over your life. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's been quite challenging, um, especially working from home with a now three-year-old. So a uh, funny story, I asked my daughter once, you know, what, what are a mum's eye color? And she said, oh, mummy's eyes are blue. And I said, oh, what color are your eyes, Thea? And she said her color is are blue as well. And what color are daddy's eyes? And she said, grumpy. So um, I realized that even though I thought I was hiding it, it's so clear, especially to a little one, when you're starting to to burn out, um, you're starting to get a little bit stressed, it physically starts showing on you, on you. And so I am very reliant on running. Running is kind of my medicine. So um, not very long runs because it's hard to get the time, but even a 30-minute run does wonders for me, obviously physically, but mentally. I also try and meditate quite regularly, not very long, but I try and spend 10 minutes a day just focusing on the breath and just trying to clear the mind. Um, Because one thing I found is that when you're starting a business and you're spinning all these plates, your mind is just running at a thousand miles an hour and it's consuming, it's exhausting. And if you don't shut off the mind, it can just really eat you up. Even when you feel like you're resting, because your mind is going, you're not really resting. And I, I noticed that even over the Christmas holidays, when I was away from my computer, I realized I was still just as tired as if I was working. And that's just because I just kept thinking about stuff. And so I needed a way of switching off the mind, uh, which is why I turned to meditation. Spending time with my little one as well is very, very distracting because when you're spending time with a little one, it's hard not to do anything but focus on the little one. So, uh, so that is quite meditative. <laughs> so... You come across as a very positive person. How do you stay positive during all of this? Both the the good times and the bad. Yeah, I would say it's because we have such a strong why and mission with the company. Like any business, there are always difficult times where we are definitely no different um, to that. But when I am going through those difficult times, I do remind myself of why did I start this business? And what would happen if this business is successful and what this would mean to um, the environment, uh, the social implications. And that is just a tremendous force, which allows me to overcome, well, it's allowed me to overcome all the um, the hurdles that I've faced so far. Hopefully we'll continue to do that. But I would say it's it's our really strong why and the reason behind uh, the company. I obviously feel very passionate behind what it is that we're trying to do. We have started a new initiative this year where we hope to fund the plantation of 1 million trees by the year 2023. That's because we fund the plantation of 25 trees for every single solar collector installed. And I want to see that through because for me personally, that would be a a wonderful legacy um, to leave behind, um, the start of it, I hope. But just thinking about the environmental side of things, because when I think about the state of the world, I do think it's in a pretty bad shape uh, at the moment. And I don't want to be that type of person that had just sat on his hands and watched it all go to crap. (laughs) I wanted to do something about it. And so this is a really, really good shot at doing it. And so I just got to see it through. Faisal has a huge, complicated and inspiring goal. And he's managed to pursue it despite his initial lack of entrepreneurial know-how. Through great mentorship, relentless positivity, and the pivotal help from Converge, Solaris Kit has continued to make strides through what will probably be one of the strangest years of our lives. If you're in the university sector, staff, student, or recent graduate, and want to take your idea and develop it into a business, then go to convergechallenge.com to find out more and begin changing your future and the world around you. 
And if you enjoyed this podcast, then hit the subscribe button in whatever app you're using to listen to this right now, because we'll be back soon with more world-changing ideas and eye-opening stories. See you then.